I want to start this morning with a bit of a problem, a bit of a conundrum. Uh, and it's a real problem for real people, lots of real people. Um, it may not be if you've been around this church, if you've been around Christianity all your life, you may have never thought of, is it a pro- thought of it as a problem outside of, um, outside of the church. Um, but it's a very real problem, and I'm going to read three different quotes from three different people. Um, the first is C.S. Lewis describing himself before he became a Christian. The second is Brad Pitt. Anybody know him? Yeah, about his, how he was raised and kind of lost his faith. And that, Michael Prowse, he was, this comes from uh, London Times, and one of the big um, London newspapers. So let's start. C.S. Lewis had a problem when he was an unbeliever. And that is, whenever he happened to find himself in a church service, he had this, this miserable idea that God should in any sense need or crave for our worship, like a vain woman wanting compliments. I'm sure that could be a vain man as well. Please forgive C.S. Lewis, but I guess he had an experience, right? Um, Or a vain author presenting his new books to people who never met or heard of him. It's implicitly answered by the words, if I be hungry, I will not tell you. Even if such an absurd deity could be conceived, he would hardly come to us, the lowest of rational creatures, to gratify his appetite. I don't want my dog to bark approval of my books. Now that I come to think of it, there are some humans whose enthusiastically favorable criticism would not much gratify me. Um, So this is the problem he had, was there was this supposed God who craved worship like a person craving compliments. Or, let's imagine him to be true, why in the world would he come to us to get those? Next up. think. This is Brad Pitt. I don't know if you know, he was raised in a um, a solid Christian Baptist home. Um, His parents raised him to follow Jesus. And this is, after he got famous, he said this, religion works. Very pragmatic. I know there's comfort there, a crash pad. It's something to explain the world and tell you there is something bigger than you and it's going to be all right in the end. It works because it's comforting. I grew up believing in it and it worked for me in whatever my little personal high school crisis was, but it didn't last for me. In other words, this religion I was raised in is perfect for high schoolers with problems. It kind of loses its luster when you become an adult, I guess, with bigger problems. I don't know. Okay. I didn't, and this, this was his sticking point, okay? Listen closely. I didn't understand this idea of a God who says, you have to acknowledge me. You have to say, I'm the best, and then I'll give you eternal happiness. And if you won't, then you don't get it. It seemed to be about ego. I can't see God operating from ego, so it made no sense to me. When I got untethered from the comfort of religion, it wasn't a loss of faith for me. It was discovery of self. So when I got away from this God who was obviously has a huge ego that he needs to be asking for praise, um, I was able to find myself outside of that. And lastly, 
Worship is an aspect of religion that I've always found difficult to understand. Suppose we postulate an omnipotent being who, for reasons inscrutable to us, decided to create something other than himself. Why should he expect us to worship him? We didn't ask to be created. Our lives are often troubled. We know that human tyrants, puffed up with pride, crave adulation and homage, but a morally perfect God who would surely have no character defects, why are all those people on their knees every Sunday? So there you go. Now, like I said, to you that may sound absurd, um, difficult to understand, but obviously there are a lot of people for whom this is a stumbling block. This idea of praise and worship, like... Is God vain? Is God an egomaniac for commanding to be praised? Are we equally arrogant to call others to praise our God? Does God crave compliment out of some sort of weakness that he has, right? Because let's be honest, when we're around people who just are constantly looking to be complimented, we're just like, something's wrong with this person. Is that what God is like? Is he somehow deficient? Is he lacking so that he needs our approval who are way, way beneath him, obviously? Or does God just kind of need to mind his own business since we never asked to be created in the first place? Is God a tyrant demanding worship or is he a narcissist who just needs to be liked? A God who demands praise is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Simply because we make God in our image and imagine, well, if that's what he's like, he's like all those people that I don't like and therefore I don't really want to like him. (laughs) That person who's constantly reminding you how smart or good or beautiful or powerful they are. What in the world's going on? What does this look like for everyday people like you and me who gather on a Sunday morning and sing songs to God? And maybe just the rest of the week we're trying to get by and trying to follow Jesus. Like, praise the Lord. That might be something you say under your breath when something just finally goes right. Ah, praise the Lord. (laughs) Hallelujah. But all over the globe, people say that one Hebrew word, hallelujah. (laughs) Amazing, a Hebrew word spoken by people who speak every language. And it is a central theme of this Bible. It's a central theme, obviously, of the Psalms of Ascent. And it's our last one. And it's a call to praise. And it wraps up all the other psalms. Uh, a people who are on a pilgrimage to a place of praise and they're praying and they're singing on the way to that place. Place of praise, that's that place of thanksgiving, that place of sacrifice where they will, will gather with like-minded people from all over to worship the one true God. Um, and this is their psalm of ascent. Praise the Lord. All you servants of the Lord who minister by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. You know how you read something a lot in the Bible and then you read it again and go, whoa, I didn't see those words. 
That happened to me this week. As a matter of fact, I read this psalm several times this week, and I did not notice the words, by night. By night. So, you're on your way, and you know when you get there, there's going to be all these different people in the temple who have different jobs in serving the Lord. Right? But imagine that you've pitched your tent. Maybe you have to spend the night somewhere along the way. Let's imagine that. And it's pitch black out. And you know that there are people still working at the temple. In the NLT that I read when the service started, it said the night, night watchman. And one of the, one of the psalms that we did a few weeks ago talked about we wait for you more than the, the watchman waits for the morning. So you're imagining that person at the temple, and he's got a fairly solitary job. Maybe, I don't know who else worked in the temple. Maybe there was somebody who walked around and made sure the lamps didn't go out. and um, Just people who guarded things at night. And it would seem to be a quiet solitary kind of job, maybe even a little boring at times. And you're directing your words to that person. Hey, guy on the night shift, lift your hands as you do your work and praise the Lord. The night watchman, do your work as unto the Lord, and feel free to sing while you do. And you can imagine that the night watchmen, the people working in the temple at night, they knew this psalm too, right? Wow, look, a psalm for me. (laughs) So I will praise the Lord. I will lift my hands while I do my job. So maybe if you can imagine you're a complete outsider to this whole thing, you were, say, from another religion in another country, and somebody just transported you and plopped you down in in the temple in the middle of the night, and you saw this dude up on the top wall, and he's walking along, and there's nobody around. It's just him up there, and he's just walking along and singing with his hands in the air, and you're going, what's up with that dude, right? I find, well, I find this challenging on the one hand. The guy working a fairly solitary job on the night shift called to lift his hands in praise. On the other hand, I find this oddly comforting that if you were there on that pilgrimage, as you laid down your head and went to sleep, you knew that somewhere... In the temple, someone was still praising the Lord. I find that comforting, that somewhere while I was asleep last night, there were single solitary people, there were gatherings of people, there were churches of people lifting up praise to God. And that just kind of happens 24 hours a day. Someone that I will not meet till I am in God's presence is praising the Lord when I'm not and when you're not. I find that comforting. Because even 
during times when I do not have it in me to praise the Lord. Somebody else does. Even at times when I just can't work it up, (laughs) I'm just grumpy or dry. Somewhere, someone is having a totally opposite experience and they have their hands up and they are praising the Lord. And someone, maybe, that no one sees. I find that comforting. I find that comforting. This was, um, lift up your hands. Praise the Lord. When we, at night, either literally or spiritually or emotionally, um, God is not only still worthy of praise, he's still being praised. We'll come back to that in a minute. And then it's, it's turned around. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who is the maker of heaven and earth. So there's this return prayer, if you will, for that person out there. You out there somewhere praising the Lord, I'm asking God's blessing on you. It's cool. Anybody ever have a night shift job that did this? Or anybody ever have a, a lonely, solitary job that did this? This was actually, it just had teens over there. Yep. Yeah. I, I, it, this did not hit me until yesterday, but this was actually a big part of my discipleship. Um, when, when I was, I don't even know if I was in, had even been to church yet. Um, I don't even know what I... I didn't know really anything about Jesus, but I came across a cassette tape. Those were before Spotify, for those who don't know. But I came across a cassette tape. Um, If my family is watching right now, I got it from my brother's car. Sorry, I'll give you your tape back someday. Um, But I was drawn to it because it was blue. And I thought, well, that's weird. Who makes a blue cassette tape? So I took it, and I put it in the cassette player in my car, and it was this guy named Michael Card, and he was singing about Jesus. And it was just the life of Jesus. And I would listen to that, and it would turn over, and I'd listen to it again. And that thing just played over and over again in my car. And um, when I finally, I guess this is a long story. I'll try to make it short. Um, I worked in a mall at a Sears, and there was a Christian bookstore in the mall. And I was afraid to go in there because I'd never been in a Christian bookstore before. And I didn't know what they were going to do if I went in there. Like, are they going to start preaching to me? Is, what, what goes on inside a Christian bookstore? I don't know. So I would walk by it on my lunch break and just kind of peek in as I walked by. And it's okay. It didn't seem to be too weird. One day I worked up the courage to go in, and I found out that this guy who made this one tape about Jesus had other tapes about Jesus. And I bought those. And I don't know if you guys know who I'm talking about, but Michael Card had this entire series on the life of Christ. And that's how I learned about Jesus first. And so when I was at work at Sears, I would be upstairs in this stock room all by myself. This big, dark, musty, dusty stock room. I would be unloading a truck, putting this stock away, the comforters, just whatever went upstairs. We won't get all that, but... And I would be working through this tape and singing about Jesus, this Jesus that I wasn't even sure if I knew yet. And this fascinating thing happened. Um, when I started going to church and started going to Sunday school and started hearing these songs, these, these, these reading about Jesus in the Bible, I would be like, oh, I knew that. 
I heard that in a song. That's from that song I listened to. And I was like, oh, he got this. I know where he got his material. Yeah, it was a fascinating thing that happened. But I just think of myself all alone upstairs in that stockroom going up and down these aisles, practically in the dark, um, singing about Jesus. And um, I don't know that anybody else in the building was doing that. I was just there by myself, right? Um, and right now, somebody out there is doing that, I would suppose, right? Somebody's working on a crop. Somebody's working on a factory. Um, we, I don't know how you feel about it today, but somebody out there is just pouring their lives out to Jesus in worship. So let's, let's answer this. Sorry, you guys have been looking at that quote the whole time. Um, when C.S. Lewis became a believer, he finally got it, why this God that he didn't believe in and had come to believe in demanded praise. And this is what he said. My whole more general difficulty about the praise of God depended on my absurdly denying to us, as this regards the supremely valuable, what we delight to do, what we indeed can't help doing about everything else we value. In other words, what he's saying is, it was silly of me, it was absurd of me to deny praise to the supremely valuable God when I delight and can't help praising all sorts of other stuff. Keep going. But the most obvious fact about praise, whether of God or anything, strangely escaped me. I thought it in terms of compliment, approval, or given honor. I'd never noticed that all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into a praise unless shyness or fear or boring others is deliberately brought in to check it. see two things here. I was denying praise to God when it was just a spontaneous thing for me to praise things all the time. And what was obviously true was when I praised something, it was spontaneous enjoyment that just overflowed from me. Next. The world rings with praise. Readers, their favorite poet. Walkers praising the countryside. Players praising their favorite game. Praise of weather, wines, dishes, actors, motors, horses, colleges, countries, historical personages, children, flowers, mountains, rare stamps, rare beetles, even sometimes politicians or scholars. Imagine that. Except where intolerably adverse circumstances interfere, praise almost seems to be, you ready? Inner health made audible. <laughs> like if you have anything healthy inside you, it comes out when you see or experience something praiseworthy. I had not noticed either that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Isn't she lovely? Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think it magnificent? We do this, right? You're reading a book and you say, oh, I can't wait to tell someone about this paragraph. Hear a song, you want to share it. You hear a bad, good joke and you think about the person you're going to tell it to because it was funny when you heard it. Yeah, I'm sorry, wives, but it's you most of the time. Um, <laughs> it's like, this is funny. 
funny, but it's going to be even funnier when I get to tell my wife and my kids, and they're going to watch me laugh at my own joke, and they're going to go, Dad, why do you laugh at your own jokes? Dad, you laughing at that joke is funnier than the joke. I've heard that many times in my household. But you see a sunrise or sunset, and it's beautiful. You've got to share it. And guess what? Your joy isn't complete until you do. It's like, oh, it was beautiful when I saw it. I brought somebody else in and said, look at that. And guess what? They joined in my joy. My joy increased. It's an incredible thing. Scotch Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Those of you who were raised Presbyterian, you know that one. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know, when we're in the presence of God, we shall then know that these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy so when we're in the presence of God and we're seeing beauty and majesty and power like, like our hearts could have never, ever imagined, it will be our enjoyment of that that will be us glorifying him. It will be one and the same thing. And we'll look at each other and go, do you see him? And our joy will just increase. So that only leaves really one thing. At least one thing. Um, let me sum up. We praise naturally. Humans were made to praise. The joy of the moment is incomplete until we share it. Glorifying God and enjoying him are practically the same thing because God is inviting us into his joy. And Jesus described that, didn't he? Come, faithful servant, enter into my joy. So there's only one thing left that's missing from this entire equation. Because I keep mentioning sunsets and sunrises and fireworks and flowers and mountains and oceans that we see and experience and share that joy with others. So the only thing that leaves is we need to see God. We need to see him. So I'm going to do something here. I'm going to go back through some of the Psalms of Ascent. Not all of them. I know you, we don't have that kind of time. But I want to point out to you. So this is, this is our closing and our review of the Psalms of Ascent. My help comes from the Lord. Who is he? He's the maker of heaven and earth. You know anybody else with that title? Didn't think so. <laughs> he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber or sleep. Do you know anyone who can just go year after year, millennia after millennia without getting tired? And who watches over you that way? That's our God. As a matter of fact, he will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. He's watching over you now. He'll watch over you tomorrow. He'll watch over you a thousand years from now. And he's the maker of heaven and earth. I lift up my eyes to you who sit enthroned in heaven. Does that describe anyone else you know? Didn't think so. As the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their masters, the eyes of 
female slave looked at the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. So there's this one enthroned in heaven who is also a merciful king. If the Lord had not been on our side, the Lord had not been on our side twice, bad things would have helped us. We would have been overwhelmed by a flood. We would have been swallowed alive. But our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The maker of heaven and earth, this God who shows us mercy, who sits enthroned in heaven, he surrounds his people both now and forevermore. Like a mountain surrounding Jerusalem. He is an immovable rock, an eternal rock. This doesn't describe anyone else. that middle line. When we came back to Zion, we just, we were laughing. We just, we were, our tongues filled with songs of joy. And all the nations looked on and said, the Lord's done great things for them. Yes, the Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Oh, here's a big one. Psalm 130. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness so we can reverence, with reverence, serve you. The omniscient Lord who knows everything about you does not keep a checklist of your sin. In Jesus Christ, he's wiped that away. The one who could keep a checklist better than even I could doesn't because there's forgiveness with him. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's good. Thank you. (laughs) It's good. It's so good. Israel, put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is what? Unfailing love and full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all of our sins. Not like a few of them, not the small ones to medium-sized ones, but the big ones. Well, those are big ones. No, all of them. Because his love never fails. Does your love ever fail? My love fails constantly. His doesn't ever fail. He never slips up and doesn't love. Okay, last one. The Lord swore an oath to David, a sure oath he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I will place on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and the statue as I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. Okay. You might make a promise to your kid. You might make a promise to your grandkid. There's a chance you might make a promise to your great-grandkid. But will you make a promise and keep it to your grandkids, 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 grandkids? great-grandkids, great-great-great-grandkids, right on into eternity? Like, what in the world? How are you going to ensure that? How, how are you going to make that happen? But God does that, and Jesus Christ comes along, and he's the son of David, and we, we get to skip to the end of the story and see this son of David sitting on the throne. And you know what we see? Like, let me just... Did any of this sound like, you know, when C.S. Lewis talked about the problem he had when he was an unbeliever, did any of this sound to you like someone fishing for compliments? Oh, that maker of heaven and earth. 
He's got some sort of deficiency. Let's praise him, guys. Let's keep him propped up. Right? You don't even think that when you read these Psalms. Because this isn't, these aren't the works of someone trying to make up for deficiency. This isn't the, wor- the works of someone who's trying to get over a weakness by getting praise from other people. This is our God. This is our Savior now and forever. And when you go, I'll just say, Revelation 4 and Revelation 7, you read these, day and night, they never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you go on forward there, before the throne of God, serve him day and night in his temple. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The people who see him can't be quiet, right? So there's this underlying command to delight in God and delight in God. We have to see him and see that he is praiseworthy. And when we see his praiseworthy, we realize it's not because he's deficient that he demands our praise. It's because he wants us to have that much more joy because we're going to praise something. You know what would make your praise even more joyful? if you shared it with another person. The pastor that I, my first pastor back in Tennessee, told me one time that he could walk up to the pulpit, say the word evangelism, and people would begin to cross their arms and lay back in the pew. That word evangelism gives us the heebie-jeebies, doesn't it? Oh, you've got to be one of those people who's willing to grab someone by the lapels. And I'm not like that. <laughs> okay. What if I said, let your praise overflow to someone nearby? And then what if I told you that could be the most joyful thing you ever do. As a matter of fact, you think you've got joy now? Wait till your joy overflows to someone who needs to praise the Lord. And then what if that overflows to the nations and we say, let the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you. It's happening somewhere right now. <laughs> it's happening. Right now, someone is, is talking to a friend and maybe a stranger and saying, You're not going to believe who I've met. Oh my goodness, he's so amazing. He's done great things for me. He's my helper. He's the maker of heaven and earth. He's going to be praised forever. And it would be my joy to tell you about him. Does that make you a little less anxious than the word evangelism? I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Nobody's folding their arms and I can say that's good. Uh, Let me pray for you before dismiss. Lord, thank you for the Psalms of Ascent. Thank you for prayers and songs for our own journey. We thank you that there's a new Jerusalem coming. We thank you that there's a throne with the son of David on it. We thank you that we will see you as you are face to face. And when we see you as you are, we will be transformed in your presence because we will see that there's, there's no one like you and your glory will be so great 
that you will make us glorious too. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see you. Thank you that you've forgiven us. Thank you that you've been merciful to us. Thank you that you've done great things for us. But Lord, I thank you that right now you're doing great things for us and we may not, may, we not even see it. You might be doing a hundred great things for us right now in this moment. And the day will come when we will say to someone else, look at this great thing the Lord did for me. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he powerful? Isn't he merciful? Isn't he kind? He doesn't ever sleep. <laughs> He's doing good to me all night. Lord, I, I pray that our praise would overflow to the neighborhoods around us. Pray that our praise would overflow to the nations. And we look forward to the day when every tribe and people will be there. Make us a people of praise, a people of deep joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, y'all. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.